Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we're excited to welcome Sean Murray to the podcast. Sean is a strategic account manager at LinkedIn, working with some of the largest customers on providing LinkedIn sales navigator and insights. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Jenna. I'm really happy to be here today. So we like to start this out by doing a little bit of an icebreaker. Is there a book that you've been reading lately uh, that's relevant to your role, the industry, anything that you would like to share with everyone? Yeah, I uh, am a huge Simon Sinek fan, and uh, I am rereading The Infinite Game currently. I really like the concept around the fact that in business, there really is no true winning. Uh, The winning is staying in the game, unlike most of the games that we play, whether it's sports or a board game, you're always in it to win. And I think if you look at business from the mindset of an infinite game and the fact that Yes, we have goals we need to hit on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis. The key thing is making sure that the business is still moving forward. So even when we have setbacks, how you react to those setbacks can have a uh, huge impact on the success of the business in the long run. So I think that's a very helpful book for everybody to to read, especially in these times. That's super interesting. I'm definitely going to add that to my list. I think that's that's one positive of working on the podcast. so like I said, Sean is a, a strategic account manager. And um, some of what we were talking about before we started the podcast was just roles and responsibilities of a strategic account manager and how that handles just the entire customer journey. And I would just love more insight into how that is true for you in your role today. And just a quick overview of how that works cross-functionally with other teams. Yeah. So at at LinkedIn, this role kind of started about three years ago. And that's when I joined the organization as one of the first strategic account managers for this LinkedIn sales solutions business. And it's really had to evolve over the past three years. Two of those years have been the pandemic, right? And so uh, we went from being able to work in the office and going and visiting with customers in person to uh, having to work remotely. Um, So cross-functional Partners are extremely important to the success of the role. The purpose of the role is is to really focus on a handful of customers that have made substantial investments in our product, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and to ensure that they're getting the most value out of that product. So it's a bit of a hybrid role between a legacy hunter-gatherer role as well as a customer success role. So typically, I will be responsible for renewing the business, for identifying the growth opportunities and closing those growth opportunities, but also working with my customer success manager to develop the strategy with the customer on where they can find value in the product, how we can align it with their sales processes. And then the customer success manager will actually go and execute the strategy that we co-develop with the customer. So can you give me some examples of how the customer success rep goes and executes on the strategy. I think a lot of the time, um, a lot of roles that I've seen, there's this big question right now around CSMs and account managers and what is the divide there? What are the roles and responsibilities? What should each team be responsible for driving within the company? So I would just love to know, A, how that's working for you in terms of of swim lanes, but also what are your thoughts on this in, in terms of the overall industry? 
Yeah. So it's certainly not binary in regard to the uh, relationship between the CSM and, and the account manager. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have worked with a handful of very high quality CSMs in my time at LinkedIn. And I would say that, you know, the biggest piece there is that, you know, there is a bit of a gray area between our respective roles. Um, we do though go and identify like who's going to own what within each of the accounts. And so rather than saying that the swim lane is specifically around like you do this, I do that, we try to go and evaluate each of the customers and where they are in their life cycle with our products and with our business, right? So if it's a legacy customer, for example, that is quite sophisticated in how they're going about developing their strategy and enabling their sales force with our product, I'm going to be a little bit more hands-off with that customer and let the customer success manager just kind of run the play because it doesn't require a new strategy. We might pivot a little bit at times, but in general, we're in a pretty good spot. They have a good program management team in place. If it's a newer customer that has just kind of come on to working with our product, there, I need to roll up my sleeves and be a lot more engaged with that customer to make sure that we get the right strategy in place. And the customer success manager there is going to be leaning on me to make sure that we get all of the chess pieces in the right order so that we can be successful and the customer can be successful with the product going forward. I'd say one of the biggest challenges in that relationship is how we're measured. I am measured based on a quota with a growth target. Uh, the customer success manager is going to be measured based on specific activities that you know the business believes are going to lead to better outcomes from a revenue generation standpoint. That can come to blows at times where it's not there isn't good alignment across what we would need to do from a contracting standpoint versus what we're looking at from a utilization of the platform standpoint. And so that's where that gray area again comes in. And it's really important to have a good relationship between the account manager and the CSM so that you can kind of figure out like, how do we make sure that we win as a business? But also I want to make sure that you're winning based on the KPIs that you're being held responsible for uh, as a CSM uh, through your organization. It sounds like you're very lockstep with the CSM on every deal. But to your point, if incentives are misaligned, then you're going to have some conflict. I would be interested to know, and you don't have to say the name of the customer or the CSM or anything like that, a scenario or you know any story that you have of where you did run into a lot of conflict and how this impacted your deal and how you got out of that. Yeah. So fortunately, I, I've, I learned a long time ago that when you're, when you're working with cross-functional partners, the key goal is to figure out how do you make sure that it's a win-win situation for everyone? How do we first make sure it's a win for the customer? Secondly, how do I make sure it's a win for the CSM? And then finally, how can I make sure it's a win for me? Right. And so I'm always thinking about that and framing that when speaking with the customer and also when discussing the strategy with my customer success partner. The thinking about the situation, I'm typically negotiating multi-million dollar, multi-year deals with our customers. There are a lot of stakeholders that have uh, bifurcated budgets um, that kind of sit all over the place. And so the key thing that I really focus on where we've had some challenges historically was 
historically before the strategic accounts program existed, we weren't doing deals where we had thousands and thousands of end users. Typically, it would be a couple hundred end users. With the pandemic and the success of our platform and customers finding a lot of value in it, we've been able to expand greatly. So what we've been able to do there is, again, I'm incentivized by closing large multi-year deals, but that can put a lot of strain on my CS partner. So I have to make sure that I'm supporting them. And so I've spent a lot of time figuring out how do we shift from historically, our organization was focused a lot on live enablement. When you go from hundreds of end users to thousands of end users, live enablement doesn't necessarily work. There's still a place for it and there's a lot of value in doing it. However, we can't have that be our first step. Our first step needs to be scaled enablement and working with video on demand. So one of the key strategies that we've done with all of our customers that are in our strategic accounts program is taking advantage of the investments that organizations have made in learning management systems and using video on demand enablement for the foundational information that they're going to need as a prerequisite to going um, and doing onboarding or doing continued education. And then from there, we work with the program management team at that customer to understand where there's gaps, right? Are there new initiatives that are coming out? Then I'm helping with saying, okay, that's where we're going to do the live enablement. So taking some of that burden off of my customer success partner to ensure that she's able to do value-added exercises when it's live enablement, but all the things that are foundational are being taken care of at scale making her more productive and helping her build better relationships with the customer, but also ensuring that we're driving additional value for the customer. So I want to touch on that for a second. I think a lot of companies struggle with this in terms of what is the role of CS? Is it onboarding? Is it enablement? Is it you know just customer support? I'm, I'm interested to know before this changed for you and before you were able to automate some of these, have video on demand, create those foundational elements, Was this something that was falling all on the CSMs to just kind of be more reactive in that scenario? Yeah, it it was, it was basically, you know, the common like customer asked for live training. We jump at it whenever they ask for it and their days would be filled with back to back, you know, 30 or 60 minute training sessions, which weren't really adding a lot of value because it was mostly point and click which wasn't helping the end users really understand how does this work in our sales tech stack? How does this work in our sales process? As every organization is going to have different tech stacks and process, they didn't have time to get into the weeds on that. They were focused on just trying to get them on board and and utilizing the platform. Say like the success of the product, right? Kind of like forced us into this situation. Um, and that's a, that's a great challenge or opportunity to have ahead of you. Um, but that was, you know, the impetus for this is that what happened was when you got to the critical mass that we were hoping to have, we realized that we didn't have the support framework in place to ensure that we would be able to keep that going in the future. And so I think it's really important for even startups to think about that part of it of it's really important to get the foundations in place, right? Because we were on a little bit of a rocky footing at first and customers weren't happy. Our biggest complaint would be our people aren't getting value out of your product. And it was simply because we couldn't go and train all of them the way that we had historically trained people. So we had to shift our mindset to figure out how do we get out to the masses 
but then also then get into the more strategic conversations that are going to drive value. And once we made that shift, we saw all those complaints more or less went away. And then we also found it to be a lot more fulfilling when we were doing those sorts of engagements because the customers were more interactive. You know, they were thanking us for the work that we put in to understand their business. And that just made things a lot easier for my customer success manager, but also for me trying to renew and find upsell opportunities. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm curious to know, is this, was it just the automation? Was it just creating those foundational materials? Or do you also have, you know, other cross-functional teams, such as a support team that's handling inquiries or, you know, how, how does that all work? Yeah, so we've we've gone back and forth a bit on how we think about doing tech support. Now, what we've done is we've created a dedicated tech support person as well uh, for the strategic accounts organization. We thought that that was really important because if something breaks, you know, and it's going to happen from time to time as we continue to develop our product. When it breaks in a smaller organization, the number of end users impacted is usually relatively low. When it breaks in a large organization, it can be catastrophic, right? Like we could literally shut down their ability to prospect or um, to engage with customers for an entire day or a couple of days, depending on how bad it could it could end up being. And so it's extremely important to have somebody that understands the nuances of those accounts in place and that can respond quickly, similar to like a quote unquote 911 sort of call. These customers are going to, we're going to respond as quickly as possible to solve the challenge. I think that was something really important that we put into place during the pandemic that we didn't necessarily have in place before. And the reason why is our customers became a lot more reliant on our products than they were previously, simply because they couldn't have face-to-face meetings. They couldn't go door-to-door like they had historically where our product was a a nice-to-have. Now it became a must-have. And it was incredibly important to make sure that it was running on you know full cylinder or working at, at its top uh, ability 24-7, right? There wasn't an opportunity for it to not work that could cause a real problem for our customers' businesses. I'm just curious from the customer experience, if I'm a customer trying to reach out to you, how do you set expectations for who your point person is, for which type of issue, just to provide that best cohesive experience? So... Before I was working at LinkedIn, I came from a services background. You know, the way that professional services organizations think about engaging with their customers versus how tech SaaS companies engage with their customers is a bit different. And part of it is because of the scale piece that we we were talking about. Um, So most SaaS organizations are going to use a QBR as their or quarterly business review as the way that they go and engage with their customer. I brought a little bit of a different thought and feel to it, given the fact that only working with about 10 customers, right? So um, I'm not spread too thin, uh, but there's a lot to do. I need to be able to go deep into those customers and make build a lot of relationships. Um, so one of the first things that we did was we said, we're still going to do QBRs, but we are also going to have a monthly program management call. Uh, that way, we're, we weren't going to be reactive after things were happening. We could be more proactive and understand what was potentially coming down from a change management standpoint within the organization. Are they adding headcount? Are they reducing headcount? Um, is there a new strategy because they have a new chief sales officer? Right. So that was one of the first things I brought in. And um, at first, uh, it was a bit overwhelming uh, for my CS partners because they weren't used to that. And I was also 
joining every single one of those calls, right? So we were making sure that we were collaborating on those calls together um, because I'm going to hear something different from the program team than they may based on my experience. And then oftentimes I was encouraging the program management team to bring in key stakeholders on a monthly or quarterly basis to get additional perspective so that we can make sure that we were building those relationships. Also trying to understand how the program management team was being measured. Oftentimes their FTE or role is not just managing our program. They're managing multiple parts of the sales tech stack or they're managing enablement uh, for not only our product, but their own products internally. And so understanding how they're being measured was going to be really important. And the challenge with that is that when it's a side project, it shifts all the time. So if we're not speaking with you on a more regular cadence, like a monthly basis, we may not understand when it shifted. And then next thing we know, when we're coming up for a renewal, we're getting pushback saying, well, we didn't achieve this. We didn't get, we didn't have value if we didn't know about it up front. Yes, it sounds like you're very hands-on throughout the whole process, which makes sense. And that the CSM is there to tag team things with you and really help build the strategy. Like you said, it's different for every customer depending on the needs. Absolutely. And so we use a prioritization matrix uh, with our customers um, and that's how the CSM and I collaborate. And so every customer is important and we're not saying that, but we understand that some customers need a higher individual or personal touch. Whereas others, we can uh, utilize more of a high tech touch because they have built the internal capabilities to support the program. Whereas other customers, we need to get them over that initial hurdle. Situations are going to come up where we need to be malleable and potentially, you know, shift a customer that we said really just needs a tech touch. And, you know, there isn't a lot of upside from us for us from a revenue standpoint. We now need to move them into another part of focus for our for our pod to ensure that, hey, we're not creating a churn risk here because they have a lot going on. They just reorged and they seem to need some support because our program management team is no longer in place. We're going to then prioritize a high touch. Yeah. So a lot of great insights. I'd like to actually pivot a little bit. At the beginning of this, we talked a little bit about before we started recording, we were talking about relationships. Um, I think a lot of that's shown through in talking about the CSMs, talking about pause, talking about relationships within LinkedIn and within just your role. I would love to know what's top of mind for you in terms of social selling and building relationships within some of these strategic accounts so that you can go deep and how you're leveraging internal resources or potentially external contacts to help you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm extremely passionate about getting warm introductions and making sure that if I'm engaging with somebody new at a customer, that I am going and doing my due diligence on that person and who they may know that I know in order to get that introduction. I use this phrase with my customer all the time, whether you're selling something or not, but it's like, when was the last time you bought or took a cold call from somebody that you didn't know? Generally, you're going to send that to your voicemail box or you're going to ignore that email. I don't know who that person is, right? And so when you're getting those, um, it can make you very unproductive as a a seller and where you're getting ignored. And uh, that can be really frustrating. And so I've really focused my energy on making sure that I have gone through every possible channel I can 
in order to find a warm introduction before I'm going to go and resort to a cold call or cold email campaign with that prospect or that customer. And so I think it's extremely important for people to realize that the technology is out there. Um, your organizations are investing in it for you. And that should be your first resort. Um, whereas oftentimes people will start with a cold call, cold email, and then finally figure out, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe I can go see who I can find that can introduce me to this person. and then they find that that intro is actually what gets them across the line. Just think about how much time and energy you could have saved by doing that up front as your first resort versus your last. And so I think that's a really important thing to, for all sellers to think about. Also, because it creates a better buyer experience, right? Buyers, unless they're engaging with you from an inbound perspective saying, I want information on your product. I think it can help me or I want to understand how it could help me. Generally you're reaching out to them. And so if you can find somebody that's in your network or in your company's network, you would actually be able to then go and utilize those relationships. And it's amazing how quickly you can get that first meeting. Because if they know that person well, and you have to qualify that with the warm intro, I have found that 95% of the time when that person reaches out to them, I have a meeting within two or three business days. And so I, I hope that if people take anything away from our conversation today, that that is the primary thing that they focus on is take advantage of your network, take advantage of your company's brand. You'll be shocked by how much more quickly you're able to get those first meetings and also how much larger your deal sizes will be when you ultimately get to a decision the customer may want to purchase from you or expand their relationship with you. Um, so I have used that uh, as my guiding light uh, for my entire sales career. And now as my role has shifted into really focusing on getting executive sponsorship and advocacy for our programs at our largest accounts, I will never reach out to somebody in the C-suite or you know an EVP, a VP without first making sure that I've done all my due diligence. I've worked with the program team internally. Um, I've you know, look to see who in my leadership organization can actually make introductions to those people, because that way I know that I'm going to get that meeting. And then I know I can drive value in that meeting because I'll have background that'll be more than just, hey, our product can help you do X, Y, Z. It's more of this aligns back to your strategic objectives. Here's how we can help. Yeah. So that's all really great advice. I think, again, I receive a million cold emails a day and um don't generally respond to them because my inbox is already really crazy. But if I do get a warm intro, I'm going to at least entertain that and have a conversation. I would love to just kind of end this with an example of a time where you really achieve success by doing this um, and any you know words of wisdom that you came out of that, that came out of that experience. Yeah. So, you know, I am often in a role where I need to actually explain to people how to do what we're, we're talking about here. And uh, I want to make sure that I practice what I preach. And so oftentimes I will want to meet with a chief sales officer of an organization. Historically, our relationship will be with somebody in sales ops, sales enablement based on the product that we have. And so um, I've been very successful uh, with about three companies just this year getting to the chief sales officer by going and leveraging my company's network uh, where I've engaged with people internally. One person shockingly was 
coaching the soccer team of this chief sales officer's child. They were like, how did you know I was connected to this person? I explained to them how I did that uh, using Sales Navigator. And then they were like, I'm more than happy to make an introduction. How can I help them? Or like, how are you going to help them? I explained the the logic behind why I wanted to have the conversation. And they're like, yeah, actually, that's something we've talked about before for their business. And so that got me that initial meeting. And that allowed for us to expand the business greatly at that customer. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that personal relationships are key to internal collaboration and external collaboration and working with customers across the board, especially in a day and age where we're a little bit more disconnected from face-to-face time. So that was really insightful. Thank you for all that. No problem. Um, So Sean, just as we wrap up, is there a way if anyone wants to get in touch with you or speak about LinkedIn Sales Navigator or anything else, um, what's what's the best way for someone to reach you? Yeah. um, So feel free to uh, find me on LinkedIn and then you can either shoot me uh, an email or uh, my actual email address is available on there as well. So feel free to shoot me a note. I'm happy to engage with anyone to answer any questions about what we discussed today. Or if you're interested in exploring more how you could benefit by utilizing LinkedIn, happy to help with that as well. So very passionate about coaching. Uh, So if anybody needs some support there, I'm more than happy to be one of those people for you. Great. Thanks so much. Really excited to have you here. And thanks for the time. Thanks, Jenna. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 